especially in light of our missions conference coming up. And uh, a lot of times when, I, when somebody says John 14, I quoted or read one of the verses, uh, verse number six, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we all certainly know that verse. I want you to look at the next verse there, if you have your Bible open in John 14, beginning in verse number seven. The Bible says that if ye had known me, Jesus said, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long, so, so, so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath sent me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake." Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now that verse there, that last verse we read, verse 12, the words verily, verily is like saying truly, truly, like it is a truth. Notice what Jesus says. He says, this is, this is the truth that I'm saying to you. He that believeth on me. Do you believe on the Lord tonight? We who know the Lord, we that have believed on the Lord. Notice he says, he that believeth on me, the works that I do. And we could go back tonight. It would take us a long time, but uh, certainly there are probably something in the life of Christ that you can think about, maybe some work that Jesus did, healing the sick, uh, casting out uh, demons, uh, raising the dead. There are many things that Jesus did. And when Jesus was on this earth, it is a simple biblical truth that Jesus did not want to be known as a mere miracle worker. That's not why he came. Jesus came to do the work of him that sent him. He came to do the Father's will. But he clearly says here in verse number 12 that who believes on him that the works that he shall do, notice that he shall do also and greater works than these shall he do. The he again is he or she that believeth on him Greater works shall he do because I go unto my Father. So when I look at this passage here, and of course, Jesus had just declared who he was and, and how to get to heaven, 
I think it ties right into what Jesus is saying here because Jesus is, is really not far from what we know as the cross, Calvary, the reason that he came into this world. But before Jesus went there and before Jesus ascended back to heaven, notice the Bible here records in verse 12 that Jesus is charging not only his disciples, but all believers. He's charging us to do something that, humanly speaking, seems impossible. How in the world can I do and you do something greater than what he himself did? We're not God. And that's what he's saying here. He said that, that we, believers, would not only do equal works that he did, but the works that we would do, if I'm reading this right, would exceed the things that he did. As I look at this tonight, it almost sounds to me like mission impossible. But here's my thought is, it may seem to us mission impossible, but yet who said it? God did. And God is not a liar. And if God said it, it must be true. The Bible says, verily, verily. This is the truth. Jesus said, this is going to happen. So how in the world, and this was my thought, how do we fulfill this verse? How is this possible? Well, notice five ways. Number one, you and I, as not just this missions conference, but in our lives as Christians, we need to get a vision for an expanded program. A vision for an expanded program. Listen, we need to make sure that we don't limit God. God is limitless. Uh, God is infinite. God can do anything. Do you believe that tonight? God can do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we can think or ask. Look at, listen, I said this morning that what, a, what an amazing thing. And I, I so many people I, I heard and saw looks on people's faces when I said that our church, although it's not large, gave 88,000 emissions this year. That's, that's an amazing thought. To God be the glory. But that tells me there's some people here that really believe that God can do something great even in 2019. But that's not going to happen if we don't get a vision for an expanded program. Say, well, we already support 62 missionaries. Hey, listen, God wants us to support more. God says there's more people that still don't know me that need to hear the truth before it's eternally too late. But we've got to get a vision. And Jesus says here, listen, I, I want you to understand something. That you have the ability, you are going to see things done in a greater way than I did. Kind of reminds me of this. Uh, many times you look in the passages, a couple of things I thought about was Jesus, he fed 5,000 people. Remember what he used to feed them? Yeah, just a little lad's lunch, right? He didn't go to Costco. You know, I, I see the many, many miracles. Jesus walked on water. Peter tried it. You know, his walk wasn't that, wasn't that long. But Jesus did things, and it, it, there, was a, there was a Methodist one time and a Presbyterian and a Baptist preacher, and they were out one day fishing. These three had become friends, and they were fishing. And the Methodist, he, he realized when he got out there that he had forgotten to take worms. He didn't have any any bait with him, and so he got out of the boat and he walked across the water to the shore, 
And he came back to the boat with some worms. And the Baptist said, wow, what faith. The Presbyterian that was on, in the boat, he was sitting there and a couple hours went by and he started to get hungry and he thought to himself, oh, I forgot to bring my lunch. So he gets out of the boat and he kind of trots across the water. He goes and gets some food, comes back and gets back into the boat. And, and the Baptist says, wow, that's incredible. I'm in the presence of greatness. Uh, you know, he, he thought to himself, I believe, I have faith too. And so the Baptist preacher, he, he was there and these guys were fishing away and he thought to himself, hey, I really need to use the bathroom. So he got out of the boat and he started to walk across the water and he sunk to the bottom. And the Methodist looked at the Presbyterian and said, should we tell him where the rocks are? Now, Jesus walked on water, and Jesus raised the dead. We're not going to walk on water. We're never going to raise the dead. But notice here in this verse, Jesus did not say, greater miracles are you going to do than I did. Matter of fact, what he says is, he tells us that we are going to do greater works. What are these greater works? John 5, 24, uh, again, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So what is the greater work? Here it is. Are you ready? The greater work is salvation. The greater work is seeing people pass from spiritual death unto eternal life. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. I never get tired of seeing people put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing people who are on their way to a Christless eternity now turning to the Lord and realizing that heaven is their new home. Jesus, as he came to this earth, his primary work was not walking on water, although he did that. His primary work was not healing people of their, of their infirmities, although he did that. It was not raising the dead, though he did all of these things. The Bible says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. But how can we do something greater than that? Certainly we're not God. I don't believe when you look at this verse here in John 14, I don't think that, that the Lord is talking about quality here. I think he's talking about quantity. When he says greater things than these, I think he's talking about quality. More people, listen to this and you study it out, Probably they estimate that more people on the day of Pentecost, one day, that more people were saved on the day of Pentecost than during the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. Now again, I don't know if that's 100% factual, but we do know how many did get saved on the day of Pentecost. 3,000. That's a pretty good day in church. So how can we do greater works than he did? Well, I'll tell you how, because we are building upon what he started. 
Remember what Jesus did? He says, I must needs go through Samaria. Jesus went and met with one woman, and then that one woman went into town, and then the entire town came out, and that entire town uh, met Jesus. And then later on in the book of Acts, we find Philip in that same town holding a great revival, all on the heels of what Jesus did with one woman. Greater works, Jesus says, than these. He began the church, the work in his earthly body. And Jesus was on this earth and he was crucified and he rose from the dead. And listen, can I tell you that Jesus, even though he's at the right hand of the Father, he is going to continue his work no longer in his physical body, but he's going to continue it in his spiritual body. And that is us, the church. The Lord is going to continue this work. Look what John 4, 37 says, going back to that portion, Jesus dealing with that woman And he says, herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. Jesus is saying here that we are going to reap in fields where they've already been cultivated by somebody else and we will do a greater work than he did. John 4, 35, he says, Say ye not, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Folks, we don't have to wait. He says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. What is the field? It's the world. Just look around. Go to Walmart. It's full of sinners. Everywhere you turn, there's people that are on their way to a Christless eternity. He says, lift up your eyes, just look around you. The darker our world gets, the brighter the light can shine. This world is sin sick. And they need Jesus to do the greater work that Jesus spoke of. We've got to have an expanded vision in our community, and not only in our community, but around the world. We have to understand that, yes, the need is great in Pembroke Pines, and it's great in Hialeah, and it's great in Georgia, but it's also great in the Philippines. It's great in Iceland. And listen, it's great in Botswana. Everywhere you turn and everywhere you lift up your eyes, you will find people that need the Lord. And that's why we need to get a worldwide vision of how to get the gospel, the good news, into other lands. One verse that always comes to my mind there in your notes is Acts 1.8. Look at the verse. The Bible records, but ye shall receive what? Power. Power. Notice when the power comes, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now this was a transitional time in the church because again the Holy Spirit of God had not yet come in a permanent and dwelling presence but the Bible says to them that when you receive the Holy Spirit of God the power comes with the the Holy Spirit and it says and once we have God's power that ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So as you think about this, God doesn't just send us to the work. God doesn't want us just to do the work in our own abilities. God says, listen, it's my work, and I will give you the power to do my work. 
I love that word there, both. You study that out, really what it's saying there is that we can be a witness here where we live, where God's put us, our mission field. And while we are being a witness here, we can send those that will be witnesses other places. Something that really grabbed my attention a while back when I was studying Acts 1.8. If you notice the word there, look at it, the word witnesses. Let's say that word, witnesses. The word that God used that they translate. By the way, they didn't, they didn't abuse and they didn't falsely write it down or record it in something other than it was, but the word is actually the word martyria, which is where we get our English word martyr. Why would God use the word martyr? Because these people that he was writing, Acts 1-8 to at that time, they had witnessed, they had seen firsthand the sufferings of Jesus. All that Jesus went through. He who knew no sin, that became sin for us, they understood what it meant to suffer for the for the gospel's sake, because that's what Jesus did. And the Bible tells us that we too should enter into his sufferings, that we are to be witnesses of his suffering. And he says, I want you to be witnesses. And he says, I will give you my power. Folks, we've got to have an expanded vision, a program that reaches beyond our little area here. If we're going to see greater works we cannot be so inward focused. We've got to look outward to the world to see the need of the hour and to try to help those people, those people that don't know, to know the same thing we know, and that is God loves them and Jesus died for their sins. We've got to have a vision for an expanded program. But notice the second thing, if we're going to see greater works than these, we have to pay an expected price. Now again, we're getting ready for our missions conference, and I read these verses this morning, and these verses have been dear to me over the years for many reasons, but I want you to look at them again, Romans chapter 10. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Then it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they here without a preacher. You know, the word there is not necessarily talking about somebody like myself that God's called to preach the gospel. Do you know that every one of us, every Christian is supposed to k-roof, they're supposed to declare the gospel? We're all supposed to be, did I not just read Acts 1-8 that we're supposed to be witnesses? God says, people aren't going to get saved unless you don't share the gospel with them. They don't know that they're a sinner. You see, they think that the life they're living is just fine. I remember the first time I began to hear people share with me that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. There were things in my life, things that I did, things that I said that honestly, I didn't know they were wrong, but yet they were wrong according to what the Word of God teaches. But the Bible says, how will they hear without a preacher. 
How shall they preach except they be sent? See, I see here an expected price. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So there's only one way to see the gospel being taken from Pembroke Pines or from wherever that maybe that missionary's local church is where God calls them uh, to go to the regions beyond. There's only one way the gospel is going to get to other lands. That is, we have to be a part of sending them. We have to send them. Well, what does it take to send missionaries? Well, certainly we need to love them, but plane tickets cost money. Visas cost money. Staying in a foreign land. I, I've been told that, that about a 500 square foot, call it whatever you want, apartment, whatever it may be, in Japan, cost about $9,000 a month. You thought South Florida was expensive. Now, you can go to Mexico. And instead of it being 9,000, it might be 2,000. Different parts of the world, the different demographics, the different cost of living, all of those factor in. But folks, understand that it, it requires some support. It's going to cost us something to, to help these missionaries get to the field. And by, can I tell you, they're not going there for vacation. They're going there to do the will of God. They're going there to share the gospel. They're not going to go there for some social program. And we do have some missionaries that go to some countries that, that in order to get in, they might go in as an English teacher. But that's not why they're there. They're there maybe to teach English as a way to share the gospel with people. But see, it's going to cost us something. There's an expected price, but this is God's plan. And that is that God's people in His church would provide the means to send these missionaries to the regions beyond. And that's why we have a program that we simply call Faith Promise. Missions given. God, I promise to do my part. Whatever you lay on my heart. You say, well, again, I don't have anything just sitting around. None of us do. But we have a God that owns the cattle on, a, on every hill and the wealth in every mine. God owns it all. His riches are untold. And we have, we have, we have full access to whatever God has. What we have to do is by faith, say, Lord, whatever you lay on my, on my heart, give me the faith to step out, to, to do that, to commit to that. And as we do, God will meet that faith. You see, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost an expected price if we have an expanded program. Notice, thirdly, I see that we also have to have an explicit promise. And by the way, we do. God has promised I love the promises of God. And when you think about a promise that is explicit, that means that this is promises that God has clearly expressed in His Word. They are promises that are definite. And I want you to see from this passage, look in verse number 13 of John chapter 14. Look at the words. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. Now notice the key there. Because a lot of times when we ask God, when we pray, it's, it's something like this, Lord, give me, give me, give me. 
But notice what he says here. He says, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. He says, that will I do. What a promise. In other words, if we're praying according to God's will, what does God want me to do? Listen, if God, if it's of God, God says, listen, if you, if you ask it in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. He says it twice in two verses. If you ask it in my name, what an explicit promise that he makes here to us. He says, look, if you ask it in my name, he says, I will do it. And when I think of of what we just looked at in these previous verses, I really believe that this asking in his name and what we ask he will do, it's applying to our witness and it's applying to our giving. See, as we ask God, God will God will help us in our witness. God will help us as we give by faith around the world. And when we ask something according to God's will, God promises. He promises to make it happen. That's why I I love it sometimes whenever it comes missions time and and we make the commitments because every year there's always Christians, whether they're young Christians or older Christians, who will come up to me maybe a month or a couple months later and say, you know, Pastor, I made a commitment to God, and I, I really didn't have any idea what I was doing. God just kind of put on my heart to give this amount, and I've been doing that the last couple weeks or the last couple months, and let me tell you what's happened since I've been doing that. You know why? Because God says that if you do it in my name, I will do it. See, I love it here, the explicit promises. If we're going to see greater works, we've got to understand that God has made some explicit promises to us. But notice a fourth thing that must happen. Notice here we have an exalted purpose. Now watch this. Get a hold of this. Look back in verse 13 of our passage. He says, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. And here's why he does it. That the Father may be what? Glorified. Glorified. See, when we ask in his name by faith, Jesus does it, and guess who gets the glory out of it? God does. The Father is glorified. God gets all the glory when people are being saved. It's a wonderful thing to see and hear of people being saved on the mission field. Galatians 1 Verse 23, the Bible says that they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Now, do you understand? Who do you think that's talking about that was persecuting them? Anybody know? That was Paul, right? Back then he was Saul. Isn't it interesting that God used that same man because He was the one that penned the words that we call the book of Galatians. And he's writing really about himself there, how he persecuted people in times past. But listen, when he got saved, he started preaching about Jesus, and people started thinking, what in the world has happened? This is a guy that was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians for their faith, but now he's on the winning side. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And they, he says here, they glorified God in me. God got the glory out of it. 
Because they knew, they knew this man. They knew the, the wicked heart that he had. They were skeptical of him when he got saved. But he says, listen, all the more reason that God would get the glory. Because if God can save a sinner like Paul, God can save anyone. God got the glory. See, we have an exalted purpose. And the purpose of, of, of having a vision for the world is that we might see God be glorified. It is a worthy cause to commit ourselves to. You know why? Because I really believe there's other Saul's in the world today. Can you imagine? You might say, well, that's impossible. Can you imagine if the President of the United States got saved? Do you believe God can do that? Can you imagine if the leaders of the Taliban got saved? God can do that. Can you, can you believe that God could save uh, our, our congressmen and those in the House and representatives? God can do that. There are people that still need to hear the gospel. And listen, God, if God chooses to, God can save them. We already know that God is able. But listen, we have to send someone to them so that they can hear. But when they do hear and they do get saved, guess what happens? God gets glory. God gets the glory out of that. God didn't leave us here. And I hope that you understand this tonight. My heart is is pure in this, but God didn't leave us here just to be saved, work a job, and make money and pay bills. That's not why God saved you. God saved you and left you here for a reason. And the reason is that you and your life would bring Him glory. And the way that we do that is understanding our purpose. We're here to help people. We can't do this, but we're, we're here to help people to stay out of hell. We're here to help people to, to understand and, uh, who God is and how much He loves them. We're here to finish His work on the earth. And when we do that, when we are witnessing to them, when we understand the purpose that we're here is that God would get the glory out of seeing people saved, then what are we doing? We are bringing great glory to the Father, according to this passage. But notice there's a fifth thing that you and I have to understand if, there's go if we're going to do greater works. And I want you to see this. Notice we have access, and we've already talked about this, to an explosive power. Go back to John chapter 14. Look at verse number 16. He says here, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you for how long? Forever. Look at verse 17. Even the spirit of truth. That's what he says here. Jesus, listen, when he was here on this earth, we all know that he's God. He was God in the flesh. We all know that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? God can be everywhere. But remember, Jesus was the God-man. He certainly could have if he wanted to. He could have been in more places at one time. But he, while he was on this earth, he limited himself to the body that he had while he was on this earth. Jesus limited his presence to his location, his physical earthly body. But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit of God is omnipresent. That's why he tells us that he would be another comforter, that it would be like Christ in us. And can I tell you that 
as I think about Jesus being here and he ascending back to the Father, it is better to have the Holy Spirit than, according to what the Bible tells us, than to have Jesus remain here on this earth. Now, we know that when Jesus died and he rose and he ascended back to the Father, that he completed salvation's plan. But I love what he says, and look at it there, John 16, verse 7. Here's the words that he says to them long before he went to the cross. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, what's that word? Expedient. Here's what that word means. It's in your best interest. This is good for you. And he says to them, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He promised that. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit of God is the promise of the Father. When Jesus left, he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He says, I'm going to send you another comforter, the paraclete, the one that would come alongside of us, the one that would guide us into all truth, that one that would be with us, as it says there, and we just looked at, that would be with us forever. And so when you think about this, look, it's so important for us to understand that when we think about this matter of doing works, the things that Jesus began, how Jesus said, look, the things that I have done, you're going to do greater works than these. Now, it's going to require something. Way back in Matthew chapter 5, the great Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest messages that Jesus ever preached. Look at verse number 41, what Jesus said there. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, what does the rest of that verse say? Go with him twain. What is twain? Twice the distance, right? And you know what our human nature is? Just do what we have to to get by. I'll just say it tonight, you may not like it. God commands that we give the tithe. I think God blesses obedience. But do you know that the Bible says tithes and offerings? I really believe that greater blessings lie beyond the tithe. I've been around Christians sometimes who... They, they want to ask, do I tithe off of my net or my gross? If you have to ask, you already know the answer. I've been around some Christians, and I, listen, I, I understand that there has to be a growth in their heart. And that's God's business, it's not mine. Now, if they ask me, I'll, I'll explain it in Christian love. But I've seen them take God to the very penny. Why don't you just give God the benefit of the doubt? God gave his son. God God never asks us for more than we can handle. And he says here, he says, look, if you want to see greater works than these, he says, uh, why don't you go past that mile? Why don't you go twain? I want you to see what's going to happen, especially in this area of missions. He's compelling us to go the extra mile to reach the world. 
God is looking for Christians who will, who will make missions, giving so that we can reach the world, who will make this a priority in their lives. Giving to missions will certainly, I, I've known this to be true in our lives, it will stretch your faith. But in stretching your faith, what it will do is it will grow you as a Christian. <laughs> My wife and I, we pray about what we're going to give to missions. And this happened quite a few times over the years, is one of us will have a number that's bigger than the other. And I would say, I, I guess this is fairly accurate, and she can correct me later if it's not. But a lot of times, if not always, whatever number is the larger number, that's the one we go with. And sometimes maybe it's a matter of maybe I don't have as much faith as she does or vice versa. But again, I just feel like if we pray about it, and many times it's either the same amount or very close to the same amount. <laughs> but when I think about this, I know this, that whenever God lays that amount on our hearts to give, I think many times, I, I don't know how we're going to do that. But then my very next thought is that if we do anything according to His will, He will do it. And you know what happens is when you start exercising faith, God... God just continues to meet that need to exceed anything that we can even imagine. I wish I had time, and I certainly wouldn't want to stand here and brag because I, I have nothing to boast about, but I'll tell you this, I can could, I could all day long, all week long brag about what God's done over the years for us, and I'm sure you could too. The many ways that God has has not only met but exceeded the faith that we had. God says, I want you to, in your giving, I want you to go the extra mile. Well, why should we do that? Let me give you four reasons and we're done tonight. Here's the first reason why we should go the extra mile, because there's a great need. There's a great need. And the need of the hour is that the lost, if they continue on the course that they're going without someone coming to them with the truth, they will step out into eternity lost, eternally separated from God. No chance to reconcile their life with God. And folks, when we understand this, that's why we look at a verse like John 14, 6, where Jesus said clearly, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This world has a deadly virus and listen, I, I'm not a pharmaceutical, I'm not God, but I'll tell you this, we have the cure. Jesus loves them, and Jesus died for them. Jesus has always and will always be the answer, and yet untold millions, even though we know the, the, the answer, we know what they need, many people today still do not know the Lord. And what we need to do is see that need, and we need to go the extra mile because there's a great need. But then notice the second thing, is not only is there a great need, but we possess a great salvation. I think about my salvation, and I hope you think about yours often, but the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? 
Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? To be saved. Doesn't that give you peace in your heart? Knowing to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To get up every day and have hope. I don't need coffee to pump me up. I've got Jesus. Can't think of anything better in life to have but the Lord. You know, a lot of religions of the world, they are, they are continually trying to help man reach God. Kind of like the Tower of Babel. That's what these religions are trying to teach people. How we can reach God. But if you look at the Bible and understand Bible Christianity, that will teach you that God is reaching down to man. He came down to us. We could not go to him. There's a gulf that separates us. Only God could have done that through his son Jesus. That's why we possess a great salvation. I've never heard anybody ever give a testimony that they regretted getting saved. Never heard it. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. I love to hear people testify what God has done since he saved them. Now, some people, because of choices in life, they have a lot of regrets after they get saved. But the greatest thing that ever happened to me happened on January 22, 1984, when God saved me. I became a child of the King. See, we have a great salvation and there's a great need. But notice another reason why we should go the extra mile, and here it is. Because we, as God's people, the church, we have a great commission. If you look in the Bible, you actually see, and we, we talk about it, there's one gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's the, the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. And you find in all four of those gospel records, you find what we call the Great Commission. If you look in each one of them, Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations. If you look in Mark, he says in Mark 16, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If you go to Luke's gospel, he says repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name among all nations. John writes, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. You see, we have a great commission. And that commission is that, yes, we shall preach a great salvation and that we face a great need. And all of these are great reasons that you and I should give to missions. But can I give you the fourth reason tonight that we should be people that are going the extra mile? And that is because we serve a great God. <laughs> we serve a great God. Can I tell you that as much as I plead with you, and by the way, you study the writings of the, those that God used, and I see these words many times from the preacher to the people, I beseech you. You know what that is? I'm begging you. By the mercies of God. I have no qualms with standing here uh, encouraging you and challenging you. Why? Because I know that God wants what's best for you. And understand tonight that when I think about how great our God is, I'm not this week or these next couple days, I don't think that you should give to missions because the preacher says so. I don't think that you should give to missions because somebody else guilts you, because uh, they give and you don't give. I think that we give 
to worldwide missions. Why? Because when we give, God gets the glory out of it. I think that God should be glorified. That's why he says here in John 14, 12, he says, listen, the works that I do, he says, you are going to do greater works than these. <laughs> I was reading this true account. If I pronounce her name right, I believe it's Alila. She stood on the beach one day holding her tiny infant son close to her heart. Tears swelled in her eyes as she began slowly walking towards the river's edge. She stepped into the water, silently making her way out until she was about up to her waist in water. The water gently lapping at the sleeping baby's feet that she held. She stood there for a long time, holding the child tightly as she stared out across the river. Then all of a sudden, in one quick moment, she threw the six-month-old baby to his watery death. a missionary by the name of M. V. Varghese came upon Alila that day. She was kneeling in the sand at the water's edge, crying uncontrollably. She was beating her breast. With compassion, the missionary knelt next to her and he asked her what was wrong. Through her sobs, she told him this. She said, the problems in my home are too many, and my sins are heavy on my heart. And so I offered the best that I have to the goddess Ganges, my firstborn son. The missionary's heart ached. For the desperate woman, as she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Jesus and that through him that her sins could be forgiven. She looked at him rather strangely and she said these words. I have never heard that before. tears running down her face. She looked at the missionary and she said, why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? If you did, my child would not have had to die. Every year there's millions of people, just like Alila, that perform rituals and they do it because they believe that those rituals will wash away their sins. For many people like Alila, missionaries are arriving, but they're arriving too late. Or not at all. We've been given an opportunity, John 14, 12, to do greater 
Would you bow your heads with me tonight? You've heard God's word tonight. I wonder, would you consider what the word of God tells us? That if the Lord is compelling us to go the mile, would you go twain? Will you help to give so that others can go? Remember, as they go, what are they going with? They're going with the life-changing message of the gospel. We have an opportunity. It may cost us. There may be a price, but listen, we've got the promises of God. I wonder tonight, church member, Christian, would you get out of your seat tonight and come to the altar and get on your face with the Lord and ask him not only to work in our missions conference, but to work in your own heart? I wonder tonight, would you come and join me in prayer? Would you come church tonight? Let's come and ask the Lord to work.